I'm Ethan, and this is the Obsessions Volume Three. Yeah, we made it. We did it to Volume Three. I guess we did it. We haven't done one of these in a while. No, I think it, I think it's been a good solid like ten ten weeks. More than that, ten or twelve. Dude, we did two Obsessions al- uh, episodes pretty close to each other. Yeah, like why they were one or two uh, one or two apart? Because we did Mahalo Drive for the one. Yep, and I can't remember what the other one was. I think the uh, the other one didn't we do each an album and a movie. Or was that one movie? Then we each did an album. We both. It was one movie, and we each did an album. Can't remember what the other obsession was. It. Huh. Remember at Mulholland Drive. Yeah. What huh. the hell was the other one? What, was that just when we did our best of? No, that was its own thing. Yeah, best of twenty. I don't know. We'll have to. Well, somebody let us know. Yeah, little Lincoln <laughs> from uh, best of twenty fifteen in the music section that I have to share. Very interesting. Interesting and intriguing. Cool. But again, this is the Obsessions Volume 3 episode, so we don't have a theme. Mm -mm. We're just um, doing two things that we're both pretty obsessed with. So our uh, movie that we're both obsessed with is No Country for Old Men, Mm -hmm. Coen Brothers movie. Uh, We're both monstrous fans of that. And the album is Bottomless Pit by Death Grips, a group that we both share a love of. Indeed. And we've followed them and even seen them in concert, which not very many people oh, can say. Don't play that card. Well, I mean, they didn't. They don't tour too much. No, they did they Coachella. They were known for a while for being a group that canceled pretty much all their live shows. And so, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was especially cool at the time to see them because their tour had pretty much just started. And this was last year in 2015. And... um I mean, they actually showed up and played, and it was crazy. And now they haven't, I mean, I don't think they've canceled anything, and they're doing Europe and stuff now. So it's, I guess maybe it's less impressive. But, dude, it was crazy that they, when they actually walked out on stage, we were like, holy crap, it's death grips, dude. And then they just dropped, like, just dropped a hell of a performance. I mean, they mm-hmm. it, it was nonstop. It yeah. was just song, 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 and then done. Yeah, it was crazy. But craziness. And then No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. I think we've been, when it came out, we were still in college, right? I was in high school. You were in high school. Uh-huh. I think when I, I was just in my first year of college. I was a senior in high school. No, 2007. Yeah, I was either a senior or junior in high school. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been, it's, this is about, not that old of a movie, but definitely, definitely a, a pretty big classic. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to review that. And our beer of the week is Redacted Rye IPA or India Pale Ale from Renegade Brewing Company. I have to read the description off the can. Oh, I spilt it all over my hand. Redacted, censored, banned, blocked, excluded. There will always be those trying to silence the renegades, but this beer will not go quietly. With a complex rye-based malt profile complemented by citrusy hops, this beer will be remembered for its unique flavor. We painstakingly brew this beer to produce a perfect balance of malt and hops. Uh, This beer is for those who do... Wait, who do the don'ts and don'ts... Do the don'ts and don't the do's. The Renegades. Best enjoyed in the company of good friends. True in this case. Beer is good, says the glass you handed me. Yeah, from... Capital Brewing. Well, it uh, smells delicious. Yeah. I've only had a couple of rye IPAs before, and generally I'm not... I don't have exactly the most um, discernible of palates, so uh, the whole rye aspect is maybe lost. And I can tell a rye whiskey versus, uh, you know, a different... Yeah, I... I don't know. Well, we'll taste this one first. I shouldn't be like, it doesn't taste anything like rye. Well, it is really good, though. It's definitely, when it comes to IPAs, super well-balanced. Yeah, no, that's, that's, and that's a big thing. I'm like, that's something I'm obsessed with is at, like IPAs that are, I always say, like, oh, pure is unbalanced. Uh. Well, it's okay to, I mean, if you're going, like, some of the, the, the Imperials and stuff we've had, I mean, part of the point of those is to focus on hops. Yeah, kind of be obtrusive. and Yeah, and that's yeah. that's fine. But, uh, you know, yeah, if I want to sit down and have more than one IPA, I want something more like this. Because it's definitely got that, like you said in the description, more of that citrusy hop vibe. But there is no shortage of, of malts going on in there Yeah, no, that's really, it's really, really balanced. It's pretty, too. Yeah, beautiful color. Yeah. Cans are pretty cool looking. They're white with They're a... They're kind of minimalistic, which a, I think a is... A giant kind of R. I'm going to take a picture, hashtag Instagram. Boom. Got it. Boom. But yeah, so um, I'm a big fan, and I'm glad we found a liquor store that actually carries some beers like this, which are generally not as easy to find. Yeah, the wine cellar in... De Pere. De Pere. Shout out. Shout out. Awesome selection. Awesome. We'll tweet at you. They They probably have a Twitter account. Maybe. But yeah, you went, you were there. We were actually at breweries that were like... A block apart, probably around the same time. In Green Bay this in last Green Bay. weekend, right? Yeah, I had gone to just stop at the Packers Pro Shop to get some new Packers swag for the upcoming Packers season. And I uh, was there with my, my parents and my wife, and we went there. And then we went to Hinterland Brewery, which is an excellent brewery slash restaurant. We actually went there for the restaurant, and we ate there. Incredible, incredible food. I had a outstanding ocean trout, and we drank some wine and stuff, and, of course, some beer. And it was great. Brews. And you were nearby, apparently. Nearby, a Titletown Brewing Company. Right across, across the street. The par- isn't it like a parking lot, basically? It's a street. Okay. But yeah. I know they're like very close in proximity to one another. They are. But um, yeah, I'd never been there. They have a new building and new tap room. And they have a like a city like roof deck bar deal that's pretty sweet so mm-hmm. and they can open the one side of the building up to the streets which is cool they have like it's i think it's a converted firehouse yeah so it's got that going for it which is kind of cool so it's a big open the tap room at Titletown we're talking about here it's awesome it's, yeah it's big it's open they have like little games set out and yeah a lot of um kind of a little bit of a geek vibe going on yeah, there's cool. no, nothing wrong with that we use the word loving lovingly because we, we're basically geeks yeah no i Nerds. am a geek Helpful. I gotta. I gotta step up to the plate. Basically, don't beat around the bush here. Yeah. (laughs) 
but yeah, awesome. And then yeah, we went to uh, both went to the wine cellar then. Yep. Great actually, place yeah. to go if you're looking for craft beer in Wisconsin, specifically the Green Bay area. Absolutely, and it's pretty close to our house, so I think it's going to be a new stop every couple of weeks. If I'm in the mood for finding some new brews, swing new up brews. there and bam. And I got um, Golden Nugget IPA, which is something I haven't had in a long time. They had it there too. so They really have an amazing selection. Yeah. I was a little overwhelmed, to be honest. And I was totally sober when I was there, so I was like, what do I want? I want it all. <laughs> Like a kid in a candy store, literally. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's that's it. No definition this week, just obsessions. We do this periodically because weekly neurosis, I think it's good to not forget this. It's neurosis is an obsession mm-hmm. or kind of uh, occupation of the mind. So we, it's good to, good to do this again. Yeah, I think it's kind of a nice break, too, just because, I mean, there are plenty of movies out right now and, and, and uh you know, albums too, but all the tech, technically the album we're talking about today is a 2016 release, but, uh, I don't know. I, I guess it, yeah, it's nice to take a break and kind of do something else, but also not necessarily have to go to see some movies that I wouldn't normally see in theaters. Right. Even though I'm sure a lot of the movies that are playing now are great and I'll enjoy them, but there's, I don't know. I just, I'm not, not really feeling some of it. Yeah. And well, and when you go to the theater to critique, it's different than just like, Saturday, Saturday night, oh, I'm going to go see a movie, you know. You're there. I'm usually there to take take in a film, take notes, a little bit, little notes here and there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just a different experience. Not to bitch. I'm not bitching here. Yeah, jeez. It's so, so much work going to the movies every week. That's, yeah. a, that's a first world problem. But, um, but yeah. So, um, on to our high priority news items, actually. This is awesome. Amazing. Uh, noted badass Aegis Elba, who is he's a bad man or a B-A-M-F. Uh, will be debuting his new professional sp- skill, uh, kickboxing. Uh, so he's had a lifelong interest, and he decided to train for a professional kickboxing, um, and he's doing a documentary as well for the reality series um, on Discovery called Fighter. Yeah. So this dude, he, he's always, I mean, he has he's very athletic. I should, I should, yeah. We should say that. And I did read as part of this that he's been fascinated by kickboxing since he for was a long time. pretty young. Yeah. But I mean, Idris Elba's the man. I mean, didn't we talk just a couple months ago how, about how we broke the land speed record? Yeah, yeah. In a Bentley or something. Like he, he's just awesome. Yeah. And he, of course, he's starring in the Dark Tower as, as Roland, which is I, it's unbelievable to me. So I mean, I love Idris Elba now, but I'm gonna love him even more. Now he's a kickboxer. And he's gonna just kickbox. Even if he loses, he's a badass. Yeah. No, it, just incredible. And yeah, he was when he was in The Wire. Um, which he played Stringer Bell. He, you can tell because there's a lot of shots of him without his shirt on and stuff. Like, dude's like big. You know, he can he could probably do some damage. Yeah, dude. Watch Prometheus. He he's he's always wearing the tight shirts and he's just looking at the camera like I will knock your I face in yeah. if you try to fight me. And that's gonna be the he's end. A of bad you. man, bad man, kind of in that film too. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but. he's he's got an attitude. And of course, in the show Luther, which is popular in the UK, I believe. I've never seen it. But uh, he is a he is a, a fellow f- of the UK orientation, so he is British. London. Yes, and he often doesn't uh, use his uh, normal accent, and it's kind of funny whenever I actually hear him talking normally. I'm like, what? What? He's British? Yeah, and that's actually interesting. And that's in the the movie of the movie of the week, uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, 
uh, Lewin, or wait, I can never say his name right. Llewellyn. Llewellyn's wife is actually from Scotland. Scotland. And I know Scottish act, actresses and actors can very easily translate to a southern accent. Yeah. But I, Idris Elba, he Dude, has like no accent. It's so funny, and, and we'll go back to Idris Elba. It's so funny you mentioned that because I remember when No Country for Old Men first came out on DVD, I went and bought it, like the day it came out, and I watched the special features, and they were interviewing her. And I didn't know she was Scottish, so when she was talking normally, she has I was an like, "Accent." I was like, like "What wow. the hell?" Yeah, <laughs> it was it was amazing. Because I guess they're like the way they train their voices to change. Like I guess it's easier for them to do a Southern accent at first sure, before sure. they go regular. But right, but yeah, but Idris Elba, also notable, I think, to talk about him because he's been in so many of the movies we've talked about. I mean, he was in this year. He was in The Jungle Book. He was the bad dude in there, and then recently he was the bad guy in Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. So he's kind of on fire right now. Right now he is, yeah. And obviously I think the Dark Tower, I mean, that's huge. It has potential to be huge. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a big, bigger I think they'll it's do It's a big it. deal for me, but I'm, I'm still not sure they're going to be able to sell it. Yeah. And from what I understand with the Dark Tower, they're creating this movie from the perspective that it, if it fails, the movie can still stand on its own. Say the movie bombs and doesn't make a ton of money and they don't make another one. You could still watch this movie and as a sort of self-contained thing, which works too. If you've if you've read the books, the first book, I mean, I'm glad they rewrote all of them. But uh, I, if I were to have just sat down and read the Gunslinger front to back, I would have been like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. forgetting again. Slow reader, but okay. yeah, Idris Elba, bad man, and gonna be kick. That's just it's kickboxing. Just not something you think. You know? and he's an actor, so yeah. I mean, he—you know—he's a—he's an attractive male as well. So you got to think his manager is panicking a little bit, and like, don't ruin your face, right? Or we still want you to play James Bond someday. He'd—he'd oh, <laughs> uh, he'd be a great Bond. Yeah, he would—he would be perfect. Yeah, he would be perfect for Bond. That's another hot rumor that's kind of circulating—is the next Bond, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, that's kind of pointing towards that. Yeah. So, yeah, that is our, our opening segment, and uh, when we come back, we're going to do our movie of the week, No Country for Old Men. You're going to hear the trailer in the break. Uh-huh. I have no idea what that trailer would sound I like. I think, I feel like I watched the trailer a lot back in the day, but I feel like it's going to be a lot of, like, like one note of music playing, because there's not a lot of music in the movie. Yeah. And then some quotes here and there, but then, like, the sound of a boot walking through the desert you know like crunching crunch crunch. that's my guess then gunshots then some gunshots in there and then tommy lee jones mumbling okay retire take no major looking for a man who has recently drunk milk drunk milk my favorite line of the movie is hails bales they shot the dog (laughs) they shot the dog that there's a dead dog (laughs) (laughs) they meant to keep mentioning the dog in that scene all right, well, Weekly Nerds will be right back with our Movie of the Week, Obsessions, Volume, Trace, No Country for Old Men, coming up. Enjoy the trailer, the audio of it. It's going to be cool. Let me ask you something. What's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. Just call it friendo. Willin, what's in the satchel? Full of money. He's just a guy who happened to find that money. 
I got a bad feeling, Llewellyn. It's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. I'm looking for Llewellyn Moss. You go up to his trailer? Yes. Do you want to leave a message? Welcome back into Weekly and Roast. I'm Ethan. I'm Ethan. This is the movie of the week. And next to my full name, I just said, no. So I'm Nate. You're like Jimmy from South Park. If you somehow manage to perfectly skip to this point, you're like, who is that guy? I'm Nate. That's Ethan. This is movie of the week. Uh, Again, Obsessions Volume 3. And this is a film we're both obsessed with, No Country for Old Men. Uh, So the plot. After stumbling across a case of money among dead bodies... Lou and Dave, Llewellyn. Llewellyn, I keep wanting to say inside. Lewin Davis, yeah. which is another Coen Brothers movie. Thinks he can keep it quiet, but when a silent killer, Anton Chigurh, locates Moss and his money, Vietnam veteran Moss makes a uh, run for it. Uh, with bodies falling everywhere, Anton goes. It's only a matter of time before he catches up with Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Whilst all this is going on, Sheriff Ed Tom Bell is overseeing the investigation and begins to see the country in a different light than it once was. The cast is Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Woody Harrelson, who's one of my favorites, Kelly McDonald, and Stephen Root. Uh, the crew is directed by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen based on a screenplay that they adapted from a novel by Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the book was. Uh, no Country Cin- for Old Men. Was it actually? Yeah. Okay. Uh, cinematography was done by Roger Deakins, and the film was also edited by the Coen brothers. Uh, the film was done in New Mexico, primarily in Santa Fe. And notes, this film was a major success upon its release and won many Oscars, including Best Supporting Actor for Javier Bardem, uh, Best Director, and Best Picture of the Year. Also, uh, during the filming of No Country for Old Men, in one of the desert sequences, smoke from the set uh, of There Will Be Blood's oil burning rig sequence made its way to the background. Really? and filming had to be paused for a day. Uh, This was due to a close proximity of each film's set. Uh, Both movies were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars that year. That's incredible. Yeah, I remember when I first read that, I was like, whatever. What? That's awesome. Just Speaking to one of the themes of the movie, that's fate, straight up. Well, and to, like, it sounds stupid, but, like, two amazing films being filmed in such close proximity. It's like, holy shit. It's cool. It's great. That's, That's amazing. So, Ethan, what do you what do you think about this movie? Well, I'm a big, 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 big fan. Um, I don't. I guess I don't know where to start with this one because um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll just start with kind of my experience with it. I guess because um, this movie came out in 2007, and this was just a couple years when I'd really started seriously getting into film. No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood is my favorite movie ever. They were kind of movies that kick-started my love for more kind of a hard-boiled, serious, like deeply thematic type of filmmaking, right? So this movie sort of is important in that way. I don't like it nearly as much as There Will Be Blood, but especially after having rewatched it last night for the first time in probably five or six years... Honestly, this was not just as good as I remember it being, but even better than I remember it being, because this is an amazing, amazing, amazing movie. It's a suspense thriller at heart, but like everything Coen Brothers, and we've talked about it when we reviewed their movie Hail Caesar, there's always just so much more going on, and I think me watching it when I'm a little bit older, I was able to appreciate those elements of it, because I think the real 
winning element of this movie is that it can be enjoyed as a somewhat straightforward suspense thriller with even some comedy spattered in there, but it also can be just dissected and dissected and dissected because it has some extremely rich thematic stuff going on in it. Yeah, and I feel like everyone has kind of a different interpretation of this film. And But I, Sam, I'm in the same boat with you. I mean, I, bought, I literally woke up at... I don't, I don't think I did. I think I just stayed up, but I went to the Walmart in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, because that's where I was going to college, at midnight to purchase this film. So I'm obviously monstrously obsessed with You saw it in theaters? This, and I saw it in theaters, too. Nice, me too. So, again, just an incredible movie. Um, I, and I feel like the, the Coen brothers' artistry that people love them for uh, in terms of, like, a, a period piece. Like, in, they, they took the... Texas 1980, you know, timepiece and froze it, and that's what you're staring at. Because this takes place in the mid to late 80s, I believe, yes. right? Yes, mm-hmm. yep. And so, like, everything from the way people dress to the trucks and cars and... But embedded in the deep, deep South. Yeah, deep. And that's a big element in the movie. Yeah, and, like, they keep referencing in the film Odessa, Odessa, Texas. I've actually been to Odessa, Texas, and they they just captured it. Like, you just go to these, you, it's like a town, and then you drive maybe two miles or so, and you're just in this barren desert mm-hmm. with hills. Like, there's hills, that, and, and they kind of, they just captured it so so vividly. Right, and I think that's important in, in the movie because it's such a sparse, open landscape that the movie takes place in that really lends itself to how the movie is made, which is to say there's not, musically, there's almost no music in the whole movie. Yeah. And there's really not a whole lot of dialogue either, but uh, the, with the visual elements of the movie, yeah, being in the desert, it looks hot. It looks wide open. There's no place to go. There's no place to run. There's a couple of very key sequences involving kind of an open desert space. And I think that can be uh, attributed to Roger Deakins, his cinematography on here. He is a legendary cinematographer. Um, and this is some of his best best work, I think. The movie is incredible, incredible to look at. But what, what, what I think really comes together with this movie, that it just hit me like a sledgehammer when I was watching this last night, is how all of that stuff comes together and that hot empty desert it just it feels perfect for this story which is to say it's a pretty simple story overall you see a guy finds some money tries to get away with it gets tangled up in this with a hitman basically right yeah and uh i mean that's really all there is to it on 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 face value yeah and i think the the characters are meant to be pretty simple in in concept but um, Llewellyn and Mr. Shagur, and I, just in general, they, they kind of seem simple, but when you, they really break it down, they're a lot more complex than that. And they really kind of expand that without like a, ba- any backstory whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. There's no backtracking in this film whatsoever. It's constantly forward and it's a mm-hmm. linear story right. as well. So that, and I think that the way that's laid out, that's very hard to do. It's very, off. it's very, again, that kind of lends to that open sparseness yeah that the 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 landscape goes because yeah they don't really outside of a couple lines with Llewellyn you know he's a Vietnam vet and he married this woman a couple years ago and that's all you really know about him yeah you get the sense of who he is because of how he acts and I think um that's a testament to the performances because Josh Brolin who is to me one of the great underrated actors working today I think he's incredible uh and certainly Javier Bardem is Anton Chigurh who yeah Kind of a blank slate there. Yeah. And I think that's done on purpose, though, because these characters, like in so many other Coen Brothers movies, they're not necessarily representing 
some fully fleshed out individual. They're representing a, a grander idea that this story is sort of a catalyst for. Yeah, totally. And again, throughout this film too, the, the influx of characters are, are so great. And one, one very small character that is, if you know any, if you've ever met someone who's like from Texas and has lived there their whole life in Texas, it just, it just meets for me as the, the trailer park manager that she's this kind of overweight lady and we cannot give out that information. Yeah. And she's one of the very few people in the, the plot line that kind of meets Javier Bardem's character, oh, Anton Chigurh. And he's like, well, I, I can't do anything to, Oh, Oh, without yeah. spoiling anything, you get the very clear sense that he's going to harm that woman. But then you hear a toilet flush and he realizes they're not alone together. Yeah. And he slowly backs out of the room and she's like, what's happening? Yeah. But she's a, I mean, she's a tough nut. But again, one of the, just the way she looks, the way she talks. Yeah. The scene around her, everything is perfect. Like, I it guarantee is. if you walked into a trailer park, that trailer park and saw, whoa. Mm-hmm. Saw, <laughs> really excited about this film. Uh, but if you saw that, that person Nate is there. flailing his arms around. Oh. <laughs> but... No, great. And just uh, the way they're so good, though, at just capturing time and place. Yeah. Just masterful. Right. And I think um, the, the some of the stuff that really works here, especially well, is the, there's a lot of very intense, suspenseful sequences in the movie. Yeah. There's three or four scenes that I would consider, in a way, a chase scene or a scene of cat and mouse, especially between Llewellyn and Shigur, um, going... But, but basically going after each other in different ways. There's one, basically a shootout that starts in a hotel room and ends kind of in the open road. Um, there's a really awesome sequence involving a motel where they're trying to, where there's money hidden somewhere and there's a couple different rooms involved and how they all kind of come together is really um, um, clever. And of course, there's a chase sequence near the beginning of the movie that kind of keys everything off. Yeah. But um, it just does a great job of mixing these suspenseful, intense sequences with, with me as my just, I just want to be entertained hat on as a moviegoer. I'm on board to this movie almost the whole way through. I think if you're in this movie just for the thrill of it, I think it does kind of fall off at the end. But if you're willing to dig deeper and dig into the themes of destiny, of fate, uh, the things that these characters are representing like like death and the inevitability of all things and some of the greater archetypes that these characters represent. And I mean, the title of the movie is No Country for Old Men, and there's definitely a flavor throughout this whole movie of the concept that a lot of older people in this world do not necessarily understand the younger people. And that's not a dig on anybody. That's just a fact because it's harder to understand things that are being created outside of your own perception. Yeah. And uh, this this movie just does so many things. So I think the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie were basically the story of who's going to get the money. Is this guy going to get away? That stuff is all resolved kind of off-key, off-camera. And the last 10 minutes or so is just a lot of talking, kind of wrapping up the thematic points. And I think that – I mean I think it's in, an infamous turnoff for people because one of the big things about this movie when it came out was that people thought the ending was shockingly abrupt. That was a big thing when this movie came out. People were like, man, I like that movie, but what was the, what was up with the ending? It just yeah. ends. And I think that's it's maybe a little bit short-sighted because if you really watch the movie, the story is finished. Yeah. And then what you get at the very end is just a little bit more. And to me, that's the stuff that kind of makes the movie, it elevates it 
from just an entertaining movie to something that I can really dig into. I feel like we said the same thing about Hail Caesar. This is the kind of movie a dissertation could be written about. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't, I mean, it, it ends, but in a typical story, like a film will end and then there's all these characters that you're just, you just assume kind of move on, you know? And, and what this movie does at the end is that there's kind of the, the action sequence and then you ultimately see the continued path of several characters. Mm-hmm. And it's done, that again is done extremely well. Yeah. But that, I think that's honestly, that, that's weird for some people. Like, cause it's I think we're, we're used to this, like, okay, the, the main character, boom, that's the ending. And then it just kind of is done and you assume, well, you know, characters A, B, D, E, and F, they just kind of go on their merry way and do whatever, you know, we're not concerned about that. But in this right. one, they actually kind of address that of, what happens to Anton Chigurh? What happens to... Yeah, I think... I've never thought about it that way before. I've always just kind of... I've never really... You're right, though. You're right that this movie goes out of its way to sort of wrap things up um, for, for these characters who ultimately, in any other scene after the sort of, for the lack of a better term, the, the climax of the movie where whoever gets the money rides off into the sunset with it, the movie would have just ended there. But this movie goes beyond that. Yeah. And that's where it really kind of, it makes its points because I do think returning to the thematic material in this movie, this movie is asking big questions about fate versus free will, about how our actions cause reactions and the consequences that uh, arise to them. And at the end of this movie, we kind of see the consequences for the things that happen and how and why they happen to people. And, and we, we are the, the main villain in the movie, Anton Chigurh, sort of plays that forceful fate character, that guy who is like, well, things are going to happen no matter what, so whatever. But is that necessarily true? The, I think the last couple of scenes in the movie maybe raise some questions about that. Yeah. And I think when I was younger, when I first saw the movie, I, while I really liked it, and why, why we mentioned earlier, I think we both were sort of surprised rewatching this movie as being a little bit older because it's easier to appreciate those things. Because quite honestly, when I was younger, I loved this movie, but I always kind of had it in the back of my hand that I'm not really sure I understand what they're going for at the end. But I feel like now I do a little yeah. bit more. Oh, totally. There's a different, and it's a different lens too. Like, and you know, when I was, I, like I said off air, a lot of people are like, oh, it's man meets a movable object. And then, you know, you can, you know, but it's way, it's way deeper than that. It's, there's all these different themes going on and. It's big questions about morals and yeah, right and wrong. And, yeah. And it also like Llewellyn, you have to ask yourself when you see the film, like, is he, is he the good guy? Mm-hmm. That's a big question I have. Is, is he the good guy? Because you certainly root for him. You root for him, but at the same time, this guy's, a, again, like Aegis Elba, he's a, a BAMF, a badass motherfucker. He is pretty badass. So he's, you know, he knows how to do all these all these things, all these skills. Right. And they, I don't think most, what, 1% of the population? Probably well, they do make do. a point to show that he's a Vietnam War vet, but I think that's important, too, playing into what you were saying about the movie being a period piece, because... It's too easy for uh, for us to to kind of understand or to not understand that this the, the Vietnam War veterans there's a lot of them out there and especially in the 80s these are the people who were the main business owners the main people who are working everywhere and and I think that's a major sentiment here and one thing I that I kind of thought about when I watched this when they kept bringing up that he was a Vietnam War veteran I was like yeah I mean that yeah I mean that's super common and there's kind of a funny scene where he's trying to 
go back into the United States from Mexico. <laughs> and the guy, the, the border security guard is, is, is like, why do you think I would, you know, it's my job to pick who comes in to this country. Are you, a, and then he says he's a veteran and the guy's like, all right, you can come right in, give yeah. him a ride into town. And it's just like, that is a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a huge deal. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And again, that, that ties into that whole period thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's just a different world, but. Yep. So yeah, what would you what would you rate this? We'll get to the rating rating phase now. Okay. So, you know, despite all my gushing, I'm still only gonna give this a nine out of ten. And the reason I'm only gonna give it a nine is because A, I think not to the extreme of Hail Caesar, because people really seem to hate that movie. Yeah. But this is gonna be a movie that I think a lot of people will really be into up until the final ten minutes and they might feel a little burned by it which I totally understand. And for me, even now, thinking this is so interesting, I do think that maybe it drags on for a little bit too long in the end, and they could have kind of gotten the same effect with a little bit less. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 because I I think it's an incredibly well-made movie. I think it's worth talking about. It's worth analyzing. But it's kind of a movie I have a hard time recommending to a ton of people. Yeah. So what would you give it? 9.5 nice almost a, almost a 10 but the same reasons it does drag the ending i you know as as genius as it is in certain spots i thought it kind of dragged um and same same thing this is not a movie you're like hey you should check this out like just give it a shot yeah yeah it's just the kind of movie that people who don't necessarily want something super bubbly and, and intense to to digest that i i just feel like people would really be on board and then they when when the sort of ultimate fate of our heroes and villains is shown near the end of the second act of the movie and then you have this whole other thing people would be like wait what's the point of all this why didn't you show us more of this what happened to this guy or, or why is this happening mm-hmm. because the cone brothers ultimately knew that the focus of this movie wasn't those things yeah. And that's why I think it's a turnoff because while the suspense and the thrills and the action in this movie is great, their their grasp is above simple thrills. Yeah. So it's sort of tough to nail down. Yeah. Oh, totally. And yeah, it's just it's not a it's, it is a linear story throughout the you know main bulk of it, but the end is I don't think is that linear compared to what people are used to because to ruin a really old movie but like the matrix neo dies at the end it's this grandiose you know presentation and he's you know and in in this it ends with like the 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 matrix Matrix. trilogy yeah yeah it does neo dies spoiler yeah so spoiler (laughs) i said like to ruin a spoiler really old film. that's true but this the ending is not really that grandiose it's kind of it's very simple, and it it seems to kind of go on and on. And you're, but at the end, I I like I kind of like the ending. But oh, it's intra It's absolutely interesting. I think it's a very intra I like. It. I think it's a fascinating ending. And this isn't even the Coen Brothers' most abrupt ending. The the movie they made after this is called A Serious Man. Oh, that has. You want to talk about a, like Sopranos cut ending? That is the movie version. But, but of it. similarly to No Country for Old Men, the points have all been made already. And while it may seem like it sort of ends mid-sentence it's sort of if you take a step back and if you watch the movie again you're like "Hmm, actually everything they had to say has been said already and to go on anymore would be there'd just be too much exposition yeah yeah Yeah. amazing film yeah it's it's awesome it's it's absolutely a must-see for for movie lovers yeah and some people love it some people hate it and i I mean i'd say just 
you know, throw your boots on and give it a shot. Right. And also don't dig too much deep into it in terms of realism. Cause I, I've heard a lot of people be like, well, there's all this shooting going on. Why aren't there more cops? And you could argue about that and go into the specifics of it. But ultimately you have to realize that the Cone brothers weren't focused on those kind of things. Yeah. This is a vessel. And especially talking about a novel based on, uh, by Cormac McCarthy, his work is notoriously allegorical. The mm-hmm. road, uh, no country for old men, uh, his most famous work, Bl- uh, Blood Meridian, which is they're having a tough time developing it for a film because it's so kind of obtruse and a little strange, sort of like this. Didn't he do, what was the horses book? Blood on my horse. Or no, was it All the Pretty Horses? Was that him? I don't think so. Two? Cormac McCarthy? Because I I don't know if that was... And and speaking of Cormac McCarthy, he has a very unique writing style too. He, He doesn't use quotations for dialogue. Yeah, oh, yeah. really any punctuation. Yeah, I, I read The Road and it was... The Road is a great story as well. And that book I read in one sitting because it kind of blew my mind. Let's see here. He wrote The Road was his most recent novel. Really? Really? 2006. No Country for Old Men, which is kind of funny that no the, the book was published in 2005 and the movie was made in 2007. So there was no break in between. That book was an instant. People were like, this is great. All the Pretty Horses, you are correct. Okay. You are correct. But yeah, then Blood Meridian or the Evening Redness in the West is sort of seen as his his masterpiece, although I think that could probably be argued over which one of his works yeah. is the best. But he's a very unique, very cerebral writer. Yeah. The re- and The Road is a, a entertaining, dark book but it's and the movie does a good job yeah, i think that yeah. that was made into a movie as well and i think that's i i don't i like the story of no country for old men better but the the road i think the road works better as a book because it's so sparse and dark that you kind of have to liven it up for a movie yeah but uh still still solid depressing though <laughs> yeah really well end of the world yeah well no what country for old do? men is pretty depressing too but at least it's got some funny bits in it yeah here and there Otherwise, it's just another coin. Oh boy, <laughs> are we going to do our Javier Bardem impressions now? Although I can't do, I can't do the Spanish. Try it. Then I go like French. <laughs> Sounded like across. Oh, boy, the... I don't know. I want to go to Barcelona. Barcelona. I want to drink some wine. That's a another totally different it's... movie, but that's my best Javier Bardem. It's just another coin. I want to go to Barcelona. Otherwise, it's just another coin. <laughs> Can't even do it. Never mind. Uh, all right. Under our high priority news items, um, we talked about this before. Uh, the new Jumanji re-release uh, was revealed that Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, he's wait to be not a remake. What? Okay. Yeah. Come on, man. Okay. Read it. So the upcoming Jumanji film was revealed that Dwayne The Rock Johnson to be not a remake but a sequel to the 1995 film. Because we had talked about this before, yep. that it was going to be a remake. But he just on Instagram the other day said that it's a sequ- more of a sequel to the original. Okay, so it's going to be like Jumanji 2, two. In, in essence. Yeah. So I think that, that makes more sense. I think it makes... I'm still not thrilled about it. Like, whatever, go ahead and do it. But it makes it less kind of... a 
sting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because Jumanji isn't exactly what I would call like a classic, right? I mean, it's a cool movie. It's entertaining. I mean, it did. I mean, it did good in in theaters right. back in the. It's popular. The too. era of. I think there's a lot of nostalgia around it. I don't I know. I think that's kind of what it keeps it going. Like, I mean, why else would they make this? When I, I mean, when I saw Jumanji when I was a kid, I mean, it was kind of like, oh, that's that's cool. See, I loved it when I was younger. I, I loved it. I don't it. remember being like really jazzed about it. See, though. it was one of my favorite movies when really? I was younger. So that's why they remade it. That kind of well, they're not remaking energy. it. Nate. Well, they're, the sequel. <laughs> so refilming. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it, it has potential to be cool, and and it's so hard. Like if you go and read The Rock's Instagram post about it, like. He wins. The, first of all, The Rock is like the best dude ever. He's such like a positive, nice guy. So he wrote this big, long post about how pumped up he is, and they're working on it, and it's more of a sequel, and he's going to pay respects. And I was just like, okay, man, yeah, I, I trust you. And then after like an hour later, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, they, they tricked me. They don't need to do a sequel to Jumanji. <laughs> yeah, and and he sells. Like yeah. you know, it's like putting Kevin Hart in a movie gonna do moderately good mm-hmm. unless it was a blumhouse production oh boy then it would be oh god the, ga- the I gains i don't know the gains would be insane the box office gains would Again, be out of jason control blum, we're looking for sponsorship please Hashtag team jason blum please sponsor us um the other uh high priority news item is that martin scorsese's upcoming film silencio just spanish that's... or silence uh, is deep in the editing process. Apparently, uh, the initial length of the film is over three hours long, 195 minutes. Uh, and this is not anything new for Scorsese's work. He's had a lot of very long movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is slated for a 2016 release, but nothing is technically official. Um, and Scorsese has been interested in telling us this story since 1991. Kind of typical for him, because mm-hmm. I feel like he's like like the Coen brothers. He's got a lot of stories that are stored up. Right, and it's starring Liam Neeson, so it's kind of a return to drama for Liam Neeson. We haven't seen him really do anything, what I would call, very, very serious in a long time. I Other think he, than he's basically just fucked a bunch of people up. And it's, killing and people killing. who kidnap his daughter and stuff. I, I think you could argue that The Grey was a little bit more serious, or the one where he's in the... They get plane crashed up in the mountains somewhere. And attacked by wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think this is going to be cool. It's very heavily favorited for Oscar contention, and it's obviously about a guy who takes a vow of silence, hence the title of the film is Silence. But um, 195 minutes is long, it's long, a long, long movie. I think that at, at that length, that might be his longest movie. I know The Wolf of Wall Street was either just under or just over three hours. But if you look back on I mean, this isn't anything new for him. Casino yeah. was three hours long. He's done a bunch of movies that were super long. And I've, I've seen the director's cut of Casino, and it's, yeah, it's super, super long. I love Casino. It's Great so film. Wonderful film. That's yeah. a period piece. Yeah. Total 70s. period piece. That's actually my favorite Scorsese movie, which is kind of a, not a popular opinion. I love Casino, dude. Well. People say Goodfellas. It was apparently a. a good, I, thought, I thought it had a Casino. No, no, no. Goodfellas. I was just going to say, a lot of people say Goodfellas, is, and I love Goodfellas. Don't get me wrong. I mean, apples and oranges. But uh, to me, Casino takes the exact same style as Goodfellas, and just, it, it's a way more epic. And it's a level, it's like at least two levels above Goodfellas in terms of like process and everything. And 
It's just it's just a different thing. It's, it's a, a bigger movie. Yeah, it's a bigger movie. I think it was seen as a disappointment when it originally came out, though, because it was so similar in style. Yeah. But whatever. Well, they kind of like in and in Casino, like in, in Goodfellas, you're not really inside the characters that much. Like inside sure. of their minds. I think, but I guess I think you are, there's just not as many characters. Yeah, but it, but in Casino's a lot more like trippy. You know, you're kind of like there. You feel like you're more like in. Well, they do a lot more because, drugs. Yeah, and drugs, and you're like there. And I just feel like you're more inside the people's minds a little bit more. That's fair. Ugh. Yeah, but hey, whatever. Silence, 195 minutes. Bring it on. Scorsese. Bring it on. That's all I need to hear. Martin Bring Scorsese, new movie. On. I want it in my face. In my face. I want to see Liam Neeson not talking for three hours, just Sturdy, looking yeah. stern, looking at the sky and praying with his eyeballs. <laughs> Oscars. Oscars, brah. Oscars. He's got to get his Oscar goal because I don't think Liam Neeson's ever won an Oscar. I think he was in for... Schindler's List? He was in. I don't think he won for Schindler's List. Liam Neeson, Oscar. We're finding stuff out. How many... Live action. He has never won any. Anything. He was only nominated once, and that was for Schindler's List, and he did not win that year. Nate's pissed. No, <laughs> give Neeson an Oscar. He will. You never know, because like, then again, if you if you Qui Gon Jinn, bro, bra, Phantom Menace, Star bra. Wars, what a, <laughs> Phantom Menace, bra. No, that'll be cool. 195 minutes. Who cares? I think it'll be shorter. They'll shorten it. Yeah, they'll probably shorten it. What if they shorten it to like 120? I mean, it's like that's that would a full be too hour. much. What happens? It's there? Scor- he, Scorsese has more say than most, because apparently his original cut of Wolf of Wall Street was like four and a half hours long, and they cut that that down to three hours, and that's yeah. a great movie too. But I would love to see a four and a half hour long cut. Well, and when you go to these like movie festivals or you know that are early in Oscar season, mm-hmm. I mean those films are usually like three four hours. They can be, yeah, yeah. So give it a shot for sure. All right, on to By the Numbers, our weekly segment where we cover the top five grossing films in the United States of America and the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Hmm. The safety exits are to the... No, I'm just kidding. All right, I'll start it off again. Uh, Number five is Pete's Dragon. Uh, It grossed a total of $11.35 million in its third week, bringing its total gross to 40... Second week. Oh, previous IC. Sorry, I got my tables yep, missed. I gotcha. Uh, total gross is $42.9 million on a $65 million budget. Nice. Doing decently well. I think it has made its money back internationally. Yeah. It's good for that movie. I've heard good things as well. So, number four then is a new release Kubo and the Two Strings, which made $12.6 million on its opening weekend. Uh, on a budget of $60 million. So, again, a smaller budget for a major release. I don't think this made quite as much as they wanted. Having said that, this was done by Focus Features, which is a smaller studio in general. And I think the great word of mouth and reviews might excel this. And we, I bet you we'll see this in for Best Animated Picture at the Oscars. And is this the first animated release for Focus? I don't believe so. I believe this is the same group who did um, Paranorman and Coraline. 
Because okay. they're they're technically CGI movies, but they're done in a very stop motion way. Now I might be wrong. I believe that's the case. I'm I'm not looking that up to confirm it, but I believe it's from the same at least the same animators. Maybe Focus didn't release those, but it's more it it looks more like a stop motion style. Yeah. So it's kind of very distinct. It looks great too. No, yeah, I'd totally give it a shot. And Matthew McConaughey's first animated movie, which is big. It is that's big. a big deal. Mm-hmm. And Focus has got to have a like a chest full of hardware. They yeah. had a lot of good films. Number three is a brand new release, War Dogs from Warner Brothers Studios. It grossed a total of 14, we'll call it $14.7 million in its very first week. We don't have the budget for that one. I'd assume it's pretty good, good sized. I'm going to guess. We're going to Google it. Let's guess budget. I'm going to guess $35 million. Didn't I'm going to say, I was going to say 55 55 boom, boom, boom. This is according to Wikipedia. Budget forty, okay, forty million. So doing all right, yeah, ish. I mean, it'll probably stick around, maybe for a week or two. R-rated comedy. I don't know. It looks good, but it looks like kind of a hard sell. Yeah, because it looks like it's sort of halfway between a comedy and a more dramatic, serious movie. Yeah, and people are kind of like, "Well, what's it going to be like?" <laughs> exactly. What is it going to be? That's it's what they're exactly, thinking. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> All right, so number two in its second week is Sausage Party, which made $15.4 million. Um, so a total domestic gross of $65.4 million out of $19 million budget. Crazy. So domination there for Sausage Party. <laughs> Them sausages raking Them in the Them sausages, money. which I never, I mean, I, I get that it, it has done quite well. I did not expect that, though. I didn't just expect watching. it. I thought it was going to just flop. Yeah. Like a sausage. Like a sausage. And number one for um, three, three weeks in a row, Suicide Squad from Warner Brothers Studio uh, grossed $20.8 million and bringing its total gross to $262 million on a $175 million budget. Not bad. Making money. Internationally doing very well, too. Don't think it's going to hit the billion mark. I think DC might be a ways off from that yet, but hey, they're still making enough money. Yeah, we'll see this. We'll see Suicide Squad 2. I don't know if we'll see Suicide Squad 2, but we'll see these characters in other DC movies for sure. Oh, they're going to spread it out? Yeah, because they're doing a Batman movie before. I mean, the next two DC movies are Justice League and Wonder Woman. Well, Wonder Woman. And then um, I believe after that, it's going to be just a standalone Batman movie that ben affleck is directing and i'm i would guess that the joker is going to be the main villain in that right does that make sense that would like the joker and harley quinn the pimped out whatever he is juggalo juggalo dude joker yeah joker i would think so i mean that makes sense yeah that's just my guess Mm -hmm. maybe maybe they're afraid of having the joker as a main villain though because people i i i think that was maybe some of the hesitation in Suicide Squad is because so many people, when they think Joker, they think Heath Ledger. Yeah, because he, I mean, he kind of, I didn't, I, well, there's no good way to say this, but I think he kind of like ruined the Joker in a way because he was so he's incredible. So, he's just so good. He, it's in, I know there are some people who say Mark Hamill does a better Joker, but let's be real. He does the voice and I don't care what anybody says. If you were to, if you had Mark Hamill in Joker outfit next to Heath Ledger, Acting, I'm no. Heath Ledger did the best Joker. Period. Yeah. He and yeah, I agree with you. I don't yeah. I think it's going to be hard to ever top. 
So I think one one of the reasons maybe I liked Suicide Squad more than you is because I was really like, okay, whatever this Joker is, it's going to be totally different. I guess I don't want to well, put words in your mouth, but I, I just felt like I was like, okay, I, I'm ready for anything. And unfortunately, the movie doesn't give you enough Joker that I could really make my mind up about him yet. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is the Joker we saw in Suicide Squad can't spoil the ending, but he's going to be different well, he is because of what happened to him. Well, just not so, even that, just his whole character. Because in, yeah. in, in The Dark Knight, the Joker is just this chaos. He, he, he has no morals except for create as much chaos as possible. But the Joker here, while there's that sort of psychotic element to him, he's clearly a mob, basically a mob boss. And driven by something. Right. And who knows? And that's the thing, though, is they got handed a, a pretty good hand with how they dealt with him in Suicide Squad to where I think you might, you know, if they get like a negative reaction from who he was in Suicide Squad, they can kind of turn him into more of the Heath Ledger character or keep him going. I mean, they have options. I don't know, but now Jared Leto has been pretty outspoken saying he is not happy with how his character turned out. Um, he said something along the lines of he felt like he was sort of strong-armed into doing the character. So some drama going on. And, you know, yeah. the movies have not been well-received by critics, and it's been a point of a lot of arguments between even fans. Um, so I, I guess I, you know, I'm sh- they're making enough of money, but I still think that DC has yet to really hit a home run. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, thought, I thought his Joker was fine, but uh, I, I mean, I could take or leave him. Yeah, to totally, totally, totally agree. Shut up, Jared Leto. You have a, he has a basically a moderately successful music career and acting career. He's got an Oscar, though, dude. And he's got an Oscar. I would say that's pretty damn successful. Yeah. And he's in some of the the, the most under-recognized movies. He was in Requiem for a Dream. Which is an amazing film. He was in a movie called Mr. Nobody, which everybody should see. I think it's on Netflix. It's insane, and he's insanely good in it. He was in Panic Room. He had dreads in that movie. He gets shot in the face in that movie. Spoiler. Spoilers. Double double spoilers. <laughs> no, yeah, he. I, I don't know. Maybe he's getting strong armed, but hey, that's I. Who knows? Still rich. He's still rich. Rich. <laughs> All right. When we come back. We will do our album of the week again. The album of the week is Death Grips Bottomless Pit, and you will hear music from that album in this break. Mm. Hope you enjoy it. It's kind of a black or white thing. Even you like it or you don't. This is Obsessions. Yeah. They know we like it already. They know we like it. So you better like it too. Beagle and Russell will be right back. No about that. You're going to fucking like it. Okay. Album of the Week, Obsessions, Volume 3, Death Grips. Bottomless bed. Okay, so yeah, uh, like like Mr. Nate just said, this week we're talking about the Death Grips album, Bottomless Pit. So some background on this album. 
<laughs> okay, so Death Grips is an experimental hip-hop group group from Sacramento, California, formed in 2010. The group consists of rapper-slash-vocalist Stefan Burnett, known by his stage name MC Ride, drummer and producer Zach Hill, and co-producer Andy Morin. The band's music has been described as combining noise music, hip-hop, punk, and industrial music, and has been more specifically categorized as experimental hip-hop, industrial hip-hop, and punk rap. Their live performances are notable for containing occasional amounts of instrument destruction. Zach Hill drumming to the point of injury, at one point even performing in handcuffs. MC Ride's intense and violent stage persona and Andy Moran's use of live sampling, improvised synthesizer, flourishes, and violent sporadic movement on stage, which we can confirm having seen them live. (laughs) We can confirm that. He was like a possessed man. Okay, so some production notes on this particular album. Bottomless Pit is the fifth studio album from Death Grips. This is the second album to be released after they supposedly broke up in 2014 and quickly got back together. Since not much is known about the background of the group's writing or recording process, much is ultimately left to the fans' imaginations. The lyrics from the album were released about a month before the actual album was. Interesting. And most of their announcements are done via their Facebook page. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. So, Nate, what were your thoughts on the fifth full-length LP from Death Grips? I liked it. A lot. Well, no, I'd, I've liked everything they've put out, but this, I to me, this is their most, like, r- regular album. Like, this is a, a, at least their most understandable album, but they do have a really good job. Again, it, it's kind of, it reminds me the most of how they perform, which it goes from song to song to song to song to song. And they mix a lot of, it's not even textures, it's just drum, mostly drum sequences, synthesizers, and then the vocals are pretty constant. Mm-hmm. But still, just something about them. They're just so creative in the way that they mesh these things together. And it sounds like a mess, but at the same time, it sounds very congruent, which they did a really, really good job of making this album, even though to most people this sounds like a mess, it's very, very linear for them. Right. So I love this album. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. This is actually probably one of my more upper tier albums of theirs because I think that Death Grips here, everything you said, this band is crazy. This is loud, noisy, insane music. And like my my description here at the beginning, it's hip-hop, it's metal, it's punk rock, it's extreme music. They're the first, when when you first told me about them and I looked them up on Wikipedia, which I don't know if they're the best place to look for band reviews, but it just said noise. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's what this is. Right. This is these are sounds. These are what music is made up of. Right. And the first time I heard Death Grips, I'm I'm not gonna lie, the first time I heard Death Grips, it was their song Artificial Death in the West from their album No Love Deep Web, which if you search this, make sure you're not at work because the album cover is very not safe for work. It's a dick pic. It's a picture of a big old wang. But uh <laughs> I mean when I first heard the song, I thought it was a I thought it was a joke. My honest reaction was like, these guys are screwing around. It's a guy belting out a bunch of nonsense you can't understand. A guy hitting the drums and some dude on a, you know, some sort of mixing device, a production table, turntable, computer, whatever it was. But honestly, I read a little bit more about him and I kind of realized like, wait, no, these guys, are, people actually really seem to enjoy these people. Maybe I'm not listening to it with the right state of mind, whatever. So I listened to their first, and this was back when they only had like two or three albums is when I got into them right after they released No Love Deep Web. 
So this was a couple years ago. But anyways, um, I listened to their full albums and there was just something about it that kept drawing me back into it. Up until the point where I realized I had all of the songs memorized, the music got me pumped up. There was something just primal and disturbing about the lyrics, which are a huge focus on it, um, on the group. And uh, so I just, I was sort of hypnotized by Death Grips. And I think what's so great about this album, Bottomless Pit, is that it's sort of, the, it's sort of like a perfection of what of everything they've done up to this point in their career, because they, they aren't necessarily doing anything new. Which Death Grips is a group that experiments and does new stuff. This is sort of them taking all of the ideas they've already experimented with before and perfecting it. So I think maybe in some ways this album doesn't feel as epic or huge or like crazy as some of their other stuff, but it does feel like they've sort of polished what they've created. And uh, so ha- this certainly has some of their best songs on it. I mean, it's it's crazy music. It's intense. And if, you're, if your reaction is you hate it and you think it's annoying and stupid and you don't get it, maybe give it a little bit more of a chance. And after a couple more songs, you, you, there's nothing about it you like. Ab- abandon. Abandon ship. Abandon ship. Yeah. Because it it, it, it's such primal music, you know. And, and I think a lot of people think primal. They think more like rock and, and stuff like that. But this is like... You're running through a wooded forest. That's on fire. Recklessly. That's on fire. You probably want to be listening to this because there's no, it doesn't, they don't really follow. I mean, there's like hooks and choruses and stuff like that, but it's, it's very messed up and, and they drop and they, you know, it's just all over the map. And I think that's what kind of drew me in originally. Cause same boat as you, you told me about this band and I was like, fuck this shit. This is like, yeah way out there and i don't know I don't, I don't get this but then i listened to it and read about it and i was like wait a second there's something here and yeah yeah and there's I, and i agree i'm sorry to sorry no, to interrupt no, but ahead. no this this is the culmination of their skills in their their realm they could go to another level i think i think they will too and they will but again this is a, a really this is kind of their pinnacle right and 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 uh I, there's no, there's no music like Death Grips that just gets me jacked up. Like this is the to me the if I'm at the gym this is what I listen to. This is intense. It's super hardcore. I mean just the, the MC Ride vocals alone. There's it's it's sort of a hip hop delivery in that there the lyrics are very there's lots of rhymes and stuff like that. But his delivery is he's yelling he's screaming. It's it's more like metal in that. I think in general Death Grips sounds more like a metal band than a hip-hop group but i think the kind of core of what they do is more hip-hop and that it's very it's very beat oriented only they just happen to have a guy playing actual drums for the beats and zach hill is an insane drummer yeah and that's one of the strengths of this album too is the drumming is just it's insane it's like a machine gun going off next to your ear and it's brutal and he's 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 very hard on his kits and having seen him play alive that ferocity that that they he has live comes through on the album too and these guys really clearly are into this music and whether or not that's the most um mentally fruitful thing because these the, these songs are very dark the music itself the lyrics are very dark I, I, a lot of people have speculated that death grips is sort of a portrait of insanity and mental instability and whether or not that's true with any of these people has yet to be known or whether they're just playing characters or just sort of playing out these thoughts they have, which most art is, is people playing out their thoughts. Um, I think it serves a really valid purpose in that this music sort of unleashes these feelings a lot of people have but are afraid to acknowledge. Yeah. 
and and I think that's one of the things that 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 attracts me to Death Grips. I think like I feel like I'm talking more about Death Grips in general than just this particular album. But well, right, because and the reality is that if most people assume they're going to ask, are these guys serious? Like, is this and having seen them live, they are 150 percent serious about this music, and this is the product they're putting out to the world. But I agree with you. I think it is kind of a picture of insanity. And, you know, if you think of if you're mentally unstable, you're kind of all over the place. And their their albums are 13 songs that kind of zigzag you through this pattern that it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. It's totally crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want, really want to repeat any lyrics just because some of it is very shocking and, and, and quite interesting. And quite honestly, if you're just listening to the album, it, it can be hard to understand but um, you know, it's 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 pretty easy to look up lyrics, and I do recommend if you enjoy Death Grips, even just at a sound level, to listen to the album with lyrics in front of you because the lyrics are fascinating, mm-hmm. and and to what extent this stuff is is really coming from a true place in, in MC Ride's heart or whoever's writing the lyrics' heart. Uh, that's it's hard to it's hard to say, but regardless, it's fascinating, and I think they do represent a very valid. Uh, group of people in the world who 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 are very sort of disrupted on the inside and this music is an outlet for that it's very intense it's insane it's chaotic but there is an order to it the songs have structure there are verses there are melodies but that's not i mean there's so much more to it as well yeah it's deep it is man do you have any uh favorite songs on this particular album i am gonna mess this up but it's is it bubbles buried in the jungle that's you nailed it perfect okay. that's well, that's probably my favorite and i had no real reason why just kind of connected to it i was like this is me I, I like the opening song in here is called giving bad people good ideas and the reason it's my favorite is because the first time i heard this album i it just blew my mind because it i keep right I keep just, giving bad people. Oh. it's it's awesome and then it the song has kind of this disquieting singing intro and then it jumps in with this almost black death metal like it punch, drumming just punches you in the face and the drumming is just so oh. fierce and mc Wright is just going just going to town screaming his vocals and it's just so intense and so like it just it's just awesome but i think also other than that i like the song spikes which i think is one of their more catchy songs i like houdini uh because that song gets stuck in my head whenever i hear it and yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, bubbles buried in this jungle. But I mean, the whole album is is awesome. And the second song on this album is called Hothead, and it was the first song they ever released. And I think that maybe gets the record for the most incomprehensible, insane Death Grip song. Yeah, because it sort of has this breakdown that is a that's drumming, keyboards, weird mixing sounds with MC Ride's vocals that appear to be sort of taken out of line and put back together and it's just when you listen to it with headphones on it's like what am i listening to is there any rhyme or reason to it well and and the big you can't really call it a hit single but the most popular song is a or Eh. 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 but i feel like that's the most understandable song like it kind of makes yeah. makes sense. Well, know, and I think I, think I didn't, that, I didn't. It wasn't my favorite song. Oh, okay, but I think yeah, I I think that's maybe one of the more for yeah kind of quieter songs I yeah. guess on the album. But I think lyrically that's a strong song because that song. Speaking of trying trying to describe Death Grips and what they're like, that's a great song because if you listen to the lyrics in that song, that's really MC Ride kind of going. 
like, I don't care about my fans. I could walk away from it. I don't really care that much. It's all pointless to me. He's just embracing this kind of chaos and meaningless to it. And maybe on, maybe out uh, from an outside perspective, that sounds really dark and depressing. But it comes from this very empowered and extreme place where these are valid emotions people have. Yeah. You can't deny the fact that you sometimes look at what you're doing in your life and go like, what is this all for? Yeah. That's just something we all feel. And these guys are not afraid to talk about that. And That's so, true. Yeah. Goes goes deeper than music most of the time. Mm-hmm. What would you rate this, though, 1 to 10? I give it a, again, matching No Country for Old Men, 9 out of 10. I think it's an awesome, intense, super hardcore, crazy album. One of their better albums. But I do think, I do have to, I can't give it a 10 because I do think that they could have maybe done a little bit more to move forward. Um, yeah. And that's a real weird thing to say, kind of a stupid nitpicky thing. But uh, that's, hey, that's how I feel. So I give it a nine. <laughs> what would you give it? Same same thing, even nine. And I, same reasons. I think they could go. They could have gone a little deeper and kind of elevated themselves, but still incredible for them. You know, you, we kind of have to take that into perspective. Some people could give this an easy one. Oh, yeah. You know, because it doesn't register with them. But mm-hmm. yeah, amazing album. Give it a shot. Try it on for size. Mm-hmm. And onto our high priority news items. Um, the popular artists, I think popular artists is an a, a under description, Demigods, Metallica. Um, they released uh, a new song called Hardwired. We've both listened to it. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, Metallica. I mean, they're, what is it? They just, they announced their first, what is it? Their first. Their next album, Hardwired Self to Self Destruct, comes out in November. So it's their first album in eight years, and they release a song. It's awesome. I think it's a great, it's a real short three minute thrash metal song. There's some speculation that the song is actually longer, but certain elements have been cut out just for this promo release. But besides that, I think it's an awesome song. Just hardcore thrash metal to the face, some big, ridiculous, angsty lyrics. James Hetfield, or. Yelling at you and yeah. just it, it's odd. I, I'm I'm into it. I like Metallica. I like most of their music. I love Death Magnetic, uh, and I, I wish this would have come sooner. Yeah, this is super good. Yeah, eight years. Eight years. I think I read too that it's the longest gap between albums in the band's history too. It's gonna be. It's gonna be epic. It's we'll gonna see. be epic, and it's an eighty-minute-long double album, which might seem like a lot, but Death Magnetic was like seventy-five minutes, so it's not that much longer than their last album. And this is a topic we really could talk about, but I feel like maybe that's a discussion for when this album actually comes out: is the perception of Metallica and how, in my opinion, a lot of their fans are entitled little children who think that they deserve the world from this band. But um, I won't go there. It's just thrash metal. Just metal, bro. Just turn it up and headbang. <laughs> Just do it. And the other uh, big release was Frank Ocean released his uh, long-awaited sophomore album. Uh, he's obviously he's got a wonderful his first album. Agent Orange was a monster hit called uh, his new sophomore album is called Blonde, um, at least for now. And it is an ex- one of, another one of these exclusive mm-hmm. albums that we've kind of been been dealing with and seeing. In terms of its availability. Yeah. So you can only get it on Apple Music, so you for have now. to sign up for Apple Music for two weeks. 
Mm-hmm. In, and then, if, in Frank Ocean, if people don't know, he's a hip. Uh, he's an R and B soul sort of hip hop uh, guy who is. He's a great singer. He's sort of that. His album Agent Orange just saw him skyrocket into fame. Yeah, because he he's he's very kind of idiosyncratic and interesting in his song writing skills. Um, and it's definitely not straightforward, regular pop music. Um, so people had been really anxiously awaiting for the, his second album, and it came out kind of out of nowhere. Um, he also released, actually, technically he released two albums this last weekend because he released a, a quote-unquote visual album called Endless Ooh. as well. And then this album, Blonde. But yeah, like you said, it is exclusive on Apple Music, which if anybody, just Google Frank Ocean or Google Apple Music, and you will find 100 stories right now about how there's this big controversy now about the concept of an exclusive album release for streaming. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of companies, since this was exclusively released and people are losing money and it's not being listened to as much as it probably should be, there's a lot of studios who are now saying we they will not line up for an exclusive release anymore with Apple Music or Tidal. It's a stupid concept, in my opinion. I think we can blame title for it. Yeah, I and I agree because we we discussed this off air. I would never like purchase a service to hear an, an album two weeks before anyone else could. I, I think it's it's a ludicrous concept. But and the only reason it's happening is because whoever's the highest bidder gets it. Yeah, whether it's title, Apple Music, Spotify, whoever can pay the most to the studio or the artist for exclusive rights for even a short period of time that's going to win and i think that's stupid just give everybody the album because that all you're doing we live in a hype culture right and this sort of feeds into it just give us the music the music should speak for itself and this album by frank ocean is getting great reviews yeah people are saying it's great but some people can't hear it and what's that's what what is that going to do people are going to pirate it then yeah that's all that's going to do I think it's stupid. It, it's it's putting emphasis on the wrong things. I want the music to speak for itself. And I haven't heard this particular album. I actually haven't listened to Frank Ocean very much at all. I just listened to Agent Orange the other day and thought it was pretty solid. So I'm excited to hear this. But uh, regardless, like all the people who are huge Frank Ocean fans who don't have Apple Music, they should have access to it when the album comes out. I think it's stupid. Yeah. It really pisses me off. Hopefully a temporary trend, but... Check it out if you have Apple Music for the next couple of Frank weeks. Ocean. Oh, it's Frank Ocean. Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. Hash Browns. Mm. But. You yeah. Ooh. are ridiculous. So on to our obsessions. Ethan, what are you obsessed about right, right now? You're putting me on the spot here, buddy, because I'm actually. I could go sure. first. Yeah, you go first. Do I go? I'll go, go first. What's your, what are you obsessed with, Nate? Stranger Things. Oh, boy. Netflix. Great. Amazing. I was to- I was like, oh, another. Did you watch it all? Yeah. Is it good? Two days. Should it took I watch me two it? days to watch the whole season. Should I yeah, watch it? Totally. Give it a shot. Okay. I will. Kid acting off the charts. Sweet. Like, adult acting. I was I was blown away. Sweet. You know they kind of have their couple series, but I think this is a new beast for them. We've talked about the show before, and uh, it's on the docket, but I don't know if I'm going to prioritize it or not. Yeah. It was. I, I was just uh, totally obsessed with it for two days. Not going to mention anything soccer related. Yep. Really? Yeah. Can't. Right. So what about you? What are you obsessed about okay, right I got now? It. And I'm kind of jumping on from what I did last week. I believe last week I talked about the podcast, The Black Tapes. Yeah. Um, this week I'm going to go ahead and say I'm addicted to another podcast that's semi-related called um, 
the No Sleep Podcast. And I've been listening to it every day this week, um, religiously, and uh, it's awesome. It's a horror podcast that I believe is was born out of reddit.com on a certain... I don't understand Reddit. I don't know anything about it. But they talk about Reddit and how these stories are from Reddit. And I know people who are on Reddit, so whatever. The point is, this podcast is basically every episode, and it ranges from like 30 minutes to an hour, at least so far. And it's just short stories that are uh, read aloud by professional storytellers or some people who submit it, uh, who wrote the stories themselves. And it's seriously freaky. I'm like getting paranoid when I'm at work sitting in my cubicle with my headphones on listening to this. <laughs> there was a couple times where I had to pause and sort of realign myself because if somebody would have come up behind me and like tried to get my attention with my headphones on, I would have screamed probably because there's some stories are better than others. Some are kind of dumb. Some are freaky. Some of these things are really extreme, really well written, really creative. And I'm a big horror fan. We're getting close to fall and Halloween, my favorite time of the year. So, um, yeah, it's a cool podcast. Tons of episodes too, like 180 something episodes. Wow, lots of great stories. Some of them again are hit or miss, but uh, it's it's great. And you know, I've been looking forward to listening to more of them. Boom, boom, podcasts—they're pretty awesome. I'm into them. We okay. are. Mm-hmm. We're into them. So this has been Obsessions Volume Three. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Like good it. stuff. We had some, I think we did a good, we did a, we like broke down our stuff today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my, the one thing I had for, for at least music is that, um, on our best of 2015, we had our R and B, I had my R and B top five and I threw one Alicia Clara into number five for no good reason other than I was like, there's just something about this album that I really like. She went platinum today. What? In in terms of her one or two, I think it was one of her releases just hit platinum today. Oh, so That's cool. Yeah, she's doing it up. On the album we reviewed back in 2015, the best of 2015. Wow. Way, now, way Crazy. down the road. Crazy. It's a weird continuum. <sighs> yeah, man, best of 20, 2016 is going to be nuts. I don't even know. I feel like most of the movies that are going to be in my top 10 aren't even out yet. Yeah. That's how it is because of Oscar. Well, Oscar. And, and not just that. I guarantee you, like, my top movies of the year are movies I don't even know exist yet. Yeah. Like, there, there will be some... Ran- like, that's how it always is. Like, last year, The Revenant, I guess we had had some hype leaving up to that. That was my number one movie of the year. But looking back, like, the year before that, Whiplash, I didn't know anything about that movie. Yeah. And it was incredible, and it was, like, my second favorite movie of the year. But I love that. Those are kind of the funnest movies, though, when you really are blindsided by something. I think yeah, The Witch oh, totally. The Witch was sort of like that for me, where I was excited and I heard good things, but it just it floored me. Yeah. Like, it floored me. <laughs> we'll see if it meanders into the top ten. The Witch? Yeah. Oh, it will. That, that I said it during our episode that it'll be in our, my top ten, and I would be stunned if it doesn't make my top ten. I very rarely see any more, any more than, like, three or four 10 out of 10 movies a year and i've already seen two it's crazy but yeah best of 2016 is going to be insane there's also another movie that i saw that'll probably be my top 10 called everybody wants some which is the spiritual sequel to days of confused see it my recommend my recommendation drink a couple beers before you're seeing it and after or during and after you see it because it will make you want to party it's great nice Great movie. America. All right. Well, this has been Obsessions Volume 3. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Weekly Neurosis. Next week, we'll be back. Movie, beer, album, everything's to be determined. Box office. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that <laughs> for sure, along with obsessions, mm-hmm. some high-priority news items. See? You already got like maybe 30% of the episode figured out. We didn't out. talk about comic books. Oh, yeah, no, we did talk about the Joker and stuff today. Yeah. Hashtag comic book podcast. Boom. <laughs> Boom. All right. Once again, Weekly Neurosis, I am Nate. And I am Ethan. And everyone, please take care and listen to Death Grips.